Ladies, gentlemen, and others, welcome back to the Woody Allen Retrospective Podcast with me, your host, Donald Wonder. And I always call him the co-host with the most. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a DC reference out there and say my main man, my main man, James Daniel Walsh. <laughs> welcome back, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm not doing too bad, man. We're in month two of 2024. Things are cold. <laughs> yeah. But delayed cold. I was talking to you off mic and you said that cold has come a bit late for you this year. Is that right? Yeah. Very little snow and cold is just now really getting cold. Yeah, man. And same over here in London, in Britain. I can tell you that it's been a very, very delayed winter as well. And we're hearing all this stuff about it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come, but it hasn't come yet. So, yeah, we'll take that for what it's worth. Um, we have some interesting news at the end of this episode, which I really think if you're subscribed to this podcast and this isn't your first time, you may want to tune in for. Woody Allen news and maybe some news specifically about this podcast. Stay tuned for that. But let's just move on ahead and say... Guys, thank you for all the support. We've got a Patreon and we've got a Kofi campaign going. Support the podcast by doing that. If not, leave a like, whether you're listening on Spotify, Amazon, whatever platform you listen to. If you give it a like, it really helps us go a long way if you could do nothing else and a review if you can. But that's all we're asking for now. Let's move on with the show. On the last recording, the last episode of Woody Allen Adjacent, we spoke about a movie series that James recommended to us that was pretty damn funny, for the most part, which was the Trip series with Steve Coogan and Rob Brighton. Rob Brighton as well. What a great voice actor. And now we're moving on to me and James recommend, and then we use this other list that we're going to get to later. But this episode, we're going to do a request from one of our most supported featured patrons, which we really appreciate. So we're doing a request this month. James, would you let us know what movie we're doing? And right after James tells us, I'm actually going to play the trailer. Today we are doing the 1991 feature film Queen's Logic by director Steve Rash. We've got Kevin Bacon, Linda Ferentino, John Malkovich, Joan Montaigne. Yeah, it's a pretty star-studded cast for a movie that ended up only making $600,000. Yeah, made back all the way back in the early 90s. Fun fact, before we even start talking about this film, this film was shot in 1989, but it was released in 1991. So essentially, this is actually an 80s movie by the skin of his teeth. But it was released in 91. And I think that that very, very late 80s flair shows itself <laughs> in a couple of scenes. But before we continue, I want you guys to listen to the trailer and I'm going to give like an audio warning. Yeah, and I could have cut this bit out, but I left it in. At the end of the trailer, there's some howling. <laughs> that is actually part of the movie, which is why I left it in. So just just tweak your earphones down a little bit. So well, have a listen to the trailer for Queen's Logic. Nine adults, sort of. An anniversary that could lead to a divorce. A wedding that could turn into a breakup. And four crazy days. There's a certain logic to it all. Al, when you dance, you gotta let the other person lead once in a while. It's a place in New York where people think with their hearts and tell it like it is. 
You're planning on leaving me at the altar, aren't you? The neighborhood's really different. Oh, what happened to your friend? He's a white man who thinks he's James Brown. And so is the way they think. Look at him, he's so cute. I have a little bit quiet in here! Cute? The guy buys a new Monte Carlo every year because his name is Monty. If it ain't a little crazy... I hate it ain't any good. I'll take the kids to my place. There hasn't been domestic violence there since your father died. Queen's Logic. What a world. It's an interesting group of friends for a guy who runs a fish store. What a life. I will be the first to admit I want to die. But let's kill one of them first. What a neighborhood. You know, I'm really glad you got to hear what this movie's like because I feel like I'm not sure the trajectory of how this conversation may go, but if you didn't hear the characters and the Queen's slang or however you would accent or whatever you want to call it, I think we might come off, I don't know how we'll come off. So I'm glad you heard it before we talk more about it. Um, James, you watched this funny enough on the last episode. You <laughs> you confessed that you thought we were going to be talking about that movie on the previous recording, right? And now we're talking about it now. Yeah, I, I, I gooped. <laughs> It was a good gift. So you already, did you watch this again? Or was it once enough that first Once, time? Once was enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, I'm going to let you go first. And I will mention why this movie came up. Why I, I'm not going to, for the record, guys, not just because you request it, I'm going to vet it a little bit. I wanted to watch it and think, okay, we will do this one. I'll explain why I decided to go ahead with this one. But before I give all that spiel and explain, I want James to explain how he feels about the movie, what he thinks, and we'll go from there. Well, first of all, the first, like, two or three minutes of this movie is the most Woody Allen thing that we have ever talked about on this podcast. It's got the jazz, it's got the New York, uh, shots of New York and everything. I was really geared up for, like, this to be the most Woody Allen thing we had ever talked about. And then the rest of the movie happened, and... <laughs> It was fine. I didn't hate it. Um, it didn't really make me laugh, and I think I was supposed to. Mm. Uh, I didn't particularly like the characters. And it plays on a, a pet peeve of mine that I have, which is the New Yorkers who think that being a New Yorker is somehow like wisdom mm. or like they've got some insight that nobody else has because they're from New York. You know, and this one really breaks it down to a particular neighborhood in New York. And I mean, it's where the, the title of the movie comes from. Yeah. There's some good stuff in there, but like, for instance, with Joe Montana, who's really the lead character, Ke Kevin Bacon gets the top billing, but uh, that's just because he's Kevin Bacon. With Joe Montana, all I heard was Fat Tony the entire I know. time the movie's in play. <laughs> and. He's got some good stuff with Jamie Lee Curtis, which we'll get to. But otherwise, I didn't really care about his character. Kevin Bacon is fine in it. He's doing a terrible accent, but he's fine. John Malkovich is pretty good in it. Uh, as their their friend, who's you know not from when they were kids, but he's like a later-in-life friend, and he's gay, and which I actually thought was handled pretty well for when this movie was made. Yes, ex exceptionally well, surprisingly yeah. well. So, 
it's it's an okay movie, but it's that's it. That's the best I can come up with is it's okay. Yeah, so how this movie came about as a request, I don't remember what movie we was talking about, but I'm not sure if Kevin Bacon was mentioned in one of our podcasts, but um, our star supporter requested for this movie mentioned that I always mention Kevin Bacon for doing terrifying movies, movies where he's either the villain or the bad guy or something really negative. He does it really well. Some actors are really good at doing it and he leads into it. In fact, on the very last episode, I think we actually spoke about um, that last movie he did where, you know, it was about him and being the kind of a Peter Farming conviction and stuff. Yeah, uh, The Woodsman. Yeah, because we mentioned... Well, and- He's he's Robert Englund's top choice for if they ever make a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Robert Englund really wants Kevin Bacon to play Freddy Krueger. I never knew that. I never, and that actually works. That yeah. actually works. So you know, I was about to go. That is that is. Mm, I never thought about that. He's already. Mm, mm. Anyway, <laughs> let's put that to the side. Yeah. So this was recommended. I saw the trailer first, and I thought, "Wow, New York, Brooklyn." And I saw, I heard that, you know, the New York Bronx, whatever you want to call it, the Queen's accent. And I thought, is this going to be a movie that's going to subvert my expectations? That they're all going to sound like this, but they actually won't act like this, that there's going to be a lower heart to it. And I was kind of 50 feet old, well, after seeing the movie, yes and no, yes and no. Because to kind of summarize how I feel about this movie, I didn't like it for the most part until I did. Honestly, for them, for like three fourths of this movie, I thought, mm, it's not really doing it for me. But then I think the actors themselves won me over. This film really, really reminds me of one of the things that I've mentioned multiple times that I love about Woody Allen. And the, one of the whole reasons I got into Woody Allen, why I've become such a big Woody Allen fan. Woody Allen made me um, enjoy a different class of people. But he made it in a very accessible way. Like, there was always a core where he told his stories that just made me interested. Whether they were snooty, upper-class, rich people, there was a very simple, masterful way he wrote the story that always drew me in. And a lot of the movies had a lot of heart. And that just made me really interested in the movie. And that to me, is what this movie is kind of lacking. The actors are 100% fine. I think they're all cast really well. The cinematography is nothing special, but it's good enough. But there's no... This is like a slice-of-life movie. And that's the problem, to me personally. And reading a lot of the reviews, for people who are not part of this area, part of this culture, it's just too entrenched in it. It's just nothing... There's no nexus for an outsider to make it accessible enough. And there's even a review that I got. A lot of reviews are saying, I'm, I don't get it. I'm not from Queens. And as you rightly said, they make being from Queens like some kind of super badge of honour, for better or worse, we're from Queens. And it's a bit of a stereotype. Whenever people yeah. act like that, it sounds like a bit of a stereotype. And that is what I didn't want. The actors elevate the movie a bit more as it comes to the end because there's a lot of heart. And even I feel like they break away from the stupid stereotype that they've been just... Again, I didn't laugh. It, just like you, James, I didn't laugh through the movie. But 
I felt that the characters were, were very realistic. And, you know, as you said, Kevin Bacon, is, I don't think he's from Queen, and the accent was terrible. But it took me about three-fourths, but I actually bought the character. You know, I actually bought what, what they were all saying. But I'll say some more, but yeah, I I don't think this movie's great, but I do think it's got a lot of heart. And mm, to my, not well, not to my surprise, it's actually a die-hard Queen's faction that think this movie is true to life, true to the area, true to the ends. But again, it's not accessible in that way. It's not accessible to the wide gamut. And you would, just like me, if you weren't really like, why am I watching this, just watching the whole thing seriously, I don't know if people are really going to like this movie as much. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, like I said, the reason why that bothers me, the the sort of New York state of mind idea, is because you can really say that about anywhere. You know, well, you, you, you're you not from L.A., you wouldn't get it. You're not from Chicago, you wouldn't get it. You're not from London, you wouldn't get it. So to, to make it like a borderline mystical thing, being from New York, always just bothers me. And because it's not like the characters are completely inaccessible. I get it. They're macho guys and they've got feelings underneath and, you know, they can kind of show those feelings to each other and, and be safe. All right. I get it. But that's, again, you can say that about pretty much anywhere. The only difference is the accent. There are a bunch of immature idiots who, which is, this is another thing that kind of bugs me in movies. The guys are immature. And the women have to be like, they, they're putting up with them and the guys have to like earn the woman's love. And it's like, look, there are plenty of women who, where this could be reversed. Uh, so it always bugs me when like the, the guys are presented as immature assholes and the women are like, you need to step up to what I need you to be. Another pet peeve. The performances are all fine. They're all good. I thought Jamie Lee Curtis actually might have been the only one who got a little, at least a smile out of me. Tom Waits is in it, which is funny to see him, you know, and you know him as a singer. So it's funny to see him as an actor. I like the arc that Kevin Bacon's character goes on. You know, he's this, he's actor. He left for LA, he comes back and like, you know, makes himself out to be more than he is. He has to kind of admit that nah, I failed. I'm not really big shot that I made myself out to be. Like I said, I like John Malkovich's character. He's a gay guy who doesn't particularly like gay guys, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. I think the weakest link in the cast is Joe Montaigne, who's kind of, like I said, the star. He's the main character. He was our main Woody Allen link because he was an Alice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was an as he's an art director with the Alan Link as well, but he's well, uh, Malkovich. Malkovich was in uh, Shadows and Fog. Of course, yes, of course. Thank you for that. Yes, yes. It, it's all revolving around one of the characters getting married, and like the 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 days leading up to it and stuff, and the the guy friends all reuniting and the women having to decide if they even want to be with these guys. It's very Woody Allen in its structure. Mm. it's the execution where it lacks what I, I could absolutely see Woody doing this movie and it being maybe not one of his classics, but at least, you know, it would be a, maybe one of those early 2000s Woody Allen movies. It reminded me a little bit of like small time crux. 
I'm kind of disappointed that I haven't. I don't think Woody Allen has done an ensemble with just men about the neighborhood. You know, I think the closest thing I could think, and again, it wasn't really his film was the front when they were all comedians and yeah, you know, that's the guy. What I, I would love to see him do this because just like you said, to me, this was a perfect example. If you give Woody this again, this movie as is, just as is, I think he would have put a plot there and not just the one of them getting married but there was there was just something that was too slice of life that just made me wonder like i'm watching the movie and i'm just like okay i'm just watching these guys left right and at wild and it just i was drawn away from the movie i was just nodding off like okay like what's the real point you know and woody would have made it just give it more structure i know it, it just it was lacking structure for me and it waned on my interest as well. Yes. There was a little bit of uh, spacing off for me at a certain point where it's like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, they're all afraid to grow up or they're afraid that they're not going to make it, you know, with what they want to do. And the women are frustrated. I get it. Like, by the end of the movie, it might have been a better movie if at the end of the movie, maybe the women had just said, okay, no, you guys suck. And you know, we can do better and we're, we don't want to put up with this. Instead, it's sort of like you could see these people all satellite. Even though Jamie Lee Curtis comes in and sort of shakes things up with Joe Montaigne, he just sort of goes back to his life. I don't know. Like, I can't help but think that Woody would have come in. He would have made the character snappier. He would have, uh, he could have had the exact same cast. And I think he would have gotten better performances out of them. Yeah. Yeah, because the otherwise I was just sort of I I found myself looking at um, character played by I believe it's Chloe Webb, and just looking at her going, uh, I'm not paying attention to the movie anymore. I'm paying attention to her and going, who is she, and what have I seen her in it? And it was just bugging me. So in the middle of the movie, I just pulled up my phone and I googled it, and I was like, oh, that's right, she's one of the psychics that Bill Murray interviews at the beginning of Ghostbusters Two. Ah, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's how bored I was. Some of the movie, it was sort of like, oh, all right. Just, I get I get your point. But the characters, especially by the end of the movie, when Joe Montaigne goes through, uh, there's this whole thing about him having climbed a bridge when he was a kid and he tries to do it again and he almost dies and it was, I mean, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe he should fall and die. Maybe that, yeah. Like, I thought, I thought that would have been a really, if he actually died, because again, you know, this movie is about grown ass men who can't get out of their way or, you know, that adolescent, adolescent men, grown ass adolescent men who get together and they're not even sabotaging. They just can't get out of their way. And again, this, this, it's kind of played out and it's not, it's not funny. It's just kind of hard to watch. But it was refreshing to see by the end of the movie, a lot of what they're going against in themselves is resolved, which was yeah. the, the thing that made me like, oh, okay, all right. So they're actually self-aware. But again, I feel like the director, Steve Rash, who said that this movie wanted to represent the city and looking at his IMDb, I'm confused. I read an article that he's from... 
obviously Queens, but then they're saying he was in Texas as well. So I don't know if he moved from Queens to Texas, but this was him telling the story about one of his favorite places. And he wanted to, most of this is ad-libbed, by the way. He just said he wanted it to be free form when he wanted the chemistry there. And I think it works. But I don't know, man. I just, the movie's too long. <laughs> yeah. It's nearly two hours. And it really would have worked better if it was an hour and a half. And the structure was a little better, man. But this, to be fair, apparently this is Steve Rash's director debut as well. You know, and it was lovely seeing the scenery of the of the city, you know. But yes, full of stereotypes, man. I feel like you could have cut at least one of the friends. Maybe it had to be three friends instead of four friends. But if you're going to cut one of the friends, the, the funny thing is the one I think you would cut would be the guy who's getting married. The one where that's the whole reason they're there. The aspiring, frustrated artist who, you know, thinks he's settling for the woman that he's with. He was the one where I was the least interested in it. I know his whole thing is he can't articulate himself well. And at the end, he has a good confrontation with his fiance. I found myself not quite believing what I was seeing. But I'd appreciate that this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Again, like Woody can do the, the New York stereotypes, but he does them in a much more subtle way. This was just beating you over the head with it because all they could even talk about is being from Queens. And I didn't buy them as real people. Maybe if you're from Queens, maybe it becomes more of a uh, thing that you can relate to. But I just saw them as, you know, these sort of stereotypes that were, you know, with their fake accents, except for Joe Montaigne, who that's just how he talks. Yeah, it just didn't, it didn't click with me. It Again, it's not a movie that I, I disliked. I can't even think of like a really negative thing to say about it in particular, like a scene that pissed me off or a character that I didn't like. But it just sort of didn't, it just didn't do anything for me. That's, that's fine. Honestly, I'm not going to drag this out because I definitely can see why this is recommended because, again, seeing Kevin Bacon doing, portraying a different type of character was great. You know, and he did it well, apart from the accent, which didn't come off well at all, really. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame because this movie, even if, like you just said, James, at the very beginning, even if Woody Allen did this movie, this movie was done better. It was just more accessible and it wasn't just about, you know, if you're, if you're from Queens, you get it. You get it, man. You get it. If you're not, then you don't get it. It's Queens logic. Wink, wink. That's kind of it. Funny enough, we've got other stuff to talk about. And I am I guess I feel like I'm padding this out a little bit. This was better for the time it was made and for what it is. It's actually a little bit of a surprise. You watch the trailer and you think this is just going to be some Queen's bullshit stereotype. And it is for the most part. But then you see there's more layers to them. But I just question, again, Kevin Bacon's character is a musician and the other guy is an artist. I feel like the director was intensely trying to make some very special, trying to have its kick and eat it too. Trying to have the brawn kind of Queens guys, but let them be, you know, affluent and artistic as well. And I just thought, okay, it was, it was an okay idea for a movie, but I'm not quite buying it. It's a bit too long, but I think the cast are great. And there's two scenes in the movie I want to talk about particularly. 
But I'm going to let you go with the, the Jamie Lee Curtis part because she's only in the movie for like 15, 20 minutes. But her part is one of the standout parts of the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, she at first you think she's going to be the uh, she's the outsider. Uh, I don't think she's supposed to be from Queen. She's just passing through the neighborhood, I think. Joe Montaigne runs into her at a grocery store. And uh, she seems kind of charmed by him. And then he runs off with her to have an affair. Well, before, on his wife. Let me stop you there. Before he runs off with her, there's a big scene with him. Like a big emotional scene with him where he gets very paranoid and attacks someone. Yeah. Which is meant to be like an emotional crutch that this guy's got really problems. He's got really deep root problems. Which kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. At least for me. I mean, they, they set it up that he carries a gun, but when he actually pulls it, I, I never got what he thought was... He felt like somebody was after him or what... It didn't... I didn't yeah. fully understand it, but... Exactly. Jamie Lee Curtis sort of calms him down. She mm -hmm. gets him to give her the gun. They, <laughs> they go for a ride. And uh -huh. then later on, she just takes him to a cemetery and pulls the gun on him. Yeah. And basically just tells him that he needs to start appreciating his life. Do you know, do you know what she does there? And I, sorry to cut you, but I need to. What she does there is, it, it reminded me of that scene in Fight Club. Yeah. Where Brad Pitt takes the store owner out and threatens uh -huh. him and then tells Edward Norton that this kid, the Tamori's going to have the best day of his life. Basically, she shocks him by putting his life in danger. And, you know, Fight Club did it better. <laughs> Fight Club did it better. <laughs> you know, later. It was interesting to see he needed that kick in the ass. But, but I'll be honest with you. I don't believe he would have even put up with that from Jamie Curtis, honestly. No, he doesn't. He didn't. It, it, it came out of character for him to kind of appreciate what she did. And then that's when he goes to climb the bridge, which is like, okay, does he have a new appreciation for life? Or is he trying to kill himself? Or what yeah. exactly is happening right now? Not explained. Woody would have done no. that better because I didn't Way know what better. that was about. I didn't know what that was. And it feels like a really crutch to this movie as well. It was it was one of the it was one of the things that made me appreciate the movie because I was watching it and there was no explanation and he looked like he was gonna die and it just seemed really weird. You know, I felt like the director was trying to tell me something. <laughs> and then he just like I you know the the, the he was climbing the rope. He couldn't do it. He started falling. And then I thought, okay, this is the scene where his friends come and save him at the end. They all come, oh, we're here for you, buddy. That never happened. He literally yeah. just went away. No, is it like if his friends had saved him, which is what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, they've got to, you know, they've got to like reach for him and he's got to grab their hand. They've got to trust each other or whatever. I, yeah, I would yeah, have seen where yeah. it was going, but instead it just felt like yeah. they show up and he's already okay. Yeah. And so I didn't understand what the scene was for. Yeah, and they were all running to find him as well, and and it just completely deflated. Completely, oh, he's back home and he's on his knees already. And and then I honestly think it was, again, that's where the movie went too long because I felt like the party, they were all like the bachelor party, would have been a better like explosion climax for everyone to have and have it out there. Also, Kevin Bacon had a thing with the 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 guys getting married. He had a thing with uh, his fiance first, 
that didn't work out. And then he tries to rekindle her when he finds out the guy's being flaky to her. And then she sees him sleeping in a room. It, it, it's, it just wasn't, you know what I'm talking about. It just wasn't handled. Yeah. I'm like, I, I see what you're going for, but you're missing these opportunities to create some real drama where it just feels like uh-huh. not even misunderstanding. It's just completely missed opportunities. What? Like, this is, a, this is a clicking. She might be the closest I'd come to saying a character I didn't like because even after that happens, you know, she walks into a room at the bachelor party. He's passed out and there's a naked girl in the bed, but isn't she like sketching something or yeah, she is. Yeah. 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 And then he's like, well, nothing really happened. Nothing happened. Blah, blah, blah. And, the, and then she's just sort of like, you know, uh, she, she fully intends to still marry him. Yeah. She just sort of is like, you know, you, you need to see how wonderful I am. And, you know, again, it goes back to the queen stuff, which is like, you think you need to, you know, that if you leave, you're leaving Queens, but if you take me with you, you'll always have Queens with you. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. This is just eye rolling. And this yeah. woman does not have any self-confidence and she can do so much better. And that, that scene, that, that might be the, yeah. Now that I think about it, that, that scene kind of did bug me where she just doesn't seem to feel like she's just sort of okay with all of it. Um, James, if this was a Woody Allen movie and that scene, I can tell you they would split up after that point. Yes, absolutely. The wedding wouldn't happen, and Woody would have handled it in a way that was far more interesting. Yeah. Because he would have grown from that. As a man, he, he would have grown, and she would have grown. They would have split, but there would have been some retrospection there. Which would have been, like, oh, wow, okay, that's a bit realistic, because I didn't believe. I know it's the 90s, and I know women's mindset might be different, because it just Again, maybe I'm sexist for saying that, but I know these things were different back then, but I just didn't buy it. No, and like the, when, when I was watching the movie, every time there was a scene with John Malkovich, I was a lot more interested. Oh, definitely. And I think that you could have made him main character. Maybe gotten rid of Joe Montaigne. And he, should have, been, he should have been the rallying point. Yeah. He should have been the rallying point instead of Joe Montaigne. You're right. Because, I mean, especially the time that it's set in to have him playing a gay character and to have these sort of macho guys who are his friends be comfortable with it and okay with it, that could have been explored more, and it wasn't. Him being gay is just sort of... It's not really touched on. I wouldn't be surprised if it was John Markovich's idea on his own to bring that level of sophistication to the gay character. To me, it was a, it was a pleasant surprise, but it just seemed a little bit like this is very, very purposeful. His mindset was very, very pers- and unusual for the time. It's something very, a lot more modern. Obviously, those obviously there's people that felt that way back in the day. But to see that on film, I don't think anyone would buy it. Now, yeah. it's very refreshing. But wow, there are different types of people. It really shows, you know, things were not as black and white and, you know, it was really cool. He did a really great job. And it's a shame he didn't get more development in the story. Oh, he just seemed a bit like a curmudgeon. Yeah, he was he was the one that got the least screen time of the four characters. And he was the most interesting. So, yeah, um, yeah, a little bit of reshuffling. Because that is a thing, like, I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember. Um, there are a whole lot of gay characters in Woody Allen movies. I'm really blanking. 
I feel like the gay cats and all the island movies and listeners correct us if we're wrong. We would love to hear if we're wrong. Leave a comment down. But I feel like they're either side characters or background characters. I don't think they've been excluded. I think we might have seen some at a party or something like that. But I feel like, no, there's never been anyone in the main cast that's been a, a gay person. Not that I can think of. And it would have been interesting to see what Woody would have done with that, uh, especially with Malkovich in the part. James, I want to thank you for indulging me talking about this. I'm going to cut to two more things and then we'll get into our other news. My second favorite scene, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, James, it might be a dig at Kevin Bacon, man. Let me tell you something, man. Boy, I'm sure this is on YouTube, yeah? There's a scene where Kevin Bacon, and this might be a... Which one is the Kevin Bacon dance movie? Butlers. Kevin Bacon dances wildly like the worst where he basically breaks his pelvis. It's yeah. so comical. And I don't know if it's because of Footloose or whatnot that he not only can't dance, he literally hurts himself. It's so preposterous. But I thought to myself, are they doing this on purpose because of Flash Dance or something? I it was it was funny to have him like play a character who is that bad a dancer. I think that was probably purposeful. Yeah. That was, that part was funny. Yeah, yeah. And to be perfectly honest, they all the dance in this movie was not very good. The whole soundtrack to this movie was like really popular songs from the eighties and nineties, the late eighties, obviously, when this movie came out. But yeah, not much of a soundtrack apart from the jazz music we heard in the flashback in the when the movie starts. But most of the songs in the movie was popular music. I heard really, really popular music. But yeah, man, that that dance, anytime they're dancing, it looked whack. Like, like you know, when you watch a black movie, they say, why people can't dance? Like, come on, yep. guys, you're taking the piss now. No one, no one's this bad at dance. No one. No, there, there, there probably should have been at least one black character to point that out. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> back then just segregation I don't know well not not official segregation but I know communities start to their own and when I was like in this time in Hollywood everything was very segmented that movies of black movies da 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 and only in the late 90s it started to change now don't get me wrong Spike Lee did a mix and a lot of directors did a mix but mostly in Hollywood you get your black movie you get your white movie there you go and you know only things change later I wasn't bothered by it at all I it's just how it is for me in this day and age. Well, and it's also, I mean, because uh, this also could have been an interesting thing they could have explored. Those neighborhoods are fairly segregated, or at least they were yeah. back then. Definitely. Um, you know, you like my my dad was born in New York and uh, lived to in New York till he was eight. He lived in Yonkers at the time. Yonkers was an Irish neighborhood. You had your Italian neighborhoods, you had your Irish neighborhoods, you had your black neighborhoods. It was all very segregated, and up yeah. to that point, it still kind of would have been. So it could have been interesting to explore. And, and you know, that kind of segregation does breed some racism. So mm -hmm. it would have been interesting to see how they would have reacted to a black character. But, um, and you're right. It, nowadays, nowadays, the whole neighborhood is gentrified and everybody is drinking at the same coffee shops and mm -hmm. you know it's it's a completely different thing than it was you know 40 years ago but there's a lot of things or you know okay well yeah you, you know it's the queen it's a queen's thing you know okay well tell us more about that instead of just this weak-ass romantic comedy that isn't romantic or particularly funny 
Yeah, I, I honestly, I think this was meant to be. What do you call the movies where the guys just get along and you know, not just slice of life, the where the boys just rally in the coming of age. Yeah, coming. This is yeah. meant to be like a older coming of age movie for these old man. You guys are like in your mid thirties, man. You know, there's no coming yeah. of age if you guys don't get it fucking now. But oh, and yeah, yeah. Am, I, am I the only one who thought? And maybe this is just the maybe the actors are are the same age, but Kevin Bacon seemed like he was ten years younger than, uh, especially Joe Montana. Yeah, I I, ke- I kept watching it, going, are they just the same age? And Kevin Bacon is aging better. I, I couldn't tell. In real life, I think there's a definite age gap, or maybe, like you said, Kevin Bacon looks better. I don't know. But before I forget, you reminded me of one more scene, and how can I forget the scene? Because this has got to do with. Us Brits, man. There's, there's one scene and again. This is a Kevin Bacon scene where Kevin Bacon's looking at this character, and he can't stand him. This is British toffee nose character that's got the eye of a girl that he likes in the whole movie, and he confronts him. He's like, "No, I know you. I know you. I babysit you, and I, I bang the babysitter that used to look after you." Da, 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 da. And the guy's like, "I went to England to learn how to speak like this." And da, da. I was like, "Really?" It just you know, in some American movies back in the day, they always um, portrayed England have ha- as having more class. And uh-huh. the guy used it as an excuse, you know. I'm talking about with the British accent, he would come into the party and it turns out he was from Queens as well. And yeah, uh-huh. man, Queens is making... Queens... Did, were you, what did he say? He said, you get bunkers. When you talk like this, you get bunkers. Yeah. And then Kevin making this look in the face like, bunkers? And I was just like, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, that that part was, it, it. I saw it coming. I saw the joke coming, but, um, I mean, that is a thing. You, you. Oh, but, but, sorry, you know, but you get buckets, not bunkers. Sorry, buckets, buckets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's a thing. Like women here completely going like melting for a British accent. That is a hundred percent a real thing here. So no, I mean in the neighborhood like Queens where everybody kinda has that same accent, to bring in an accent that is completely different, I would think would be very appealing to women. Uh, well, when I came to America that should never work for me. That's all I'm saying. So but well ever. Look man, let's wrap this up. Uh actually, yeah, I'll I'll wrap this up because I, I already clipped this anyway. I read the review on IMDb, it's a short one, and you know what? I put it through the AI voice text to speech just so we can hear it. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, hyping up this movie. I think this is a, a native, the Queens or whatever. It's not long; it's just under a minute, and just hear what they have to say about this. Queens Logic is an excellently written film about a bunch of late thirty-somethings who are still trying to figure out how to get their act together. I worry that this film is only going to be accepted locally when it really has a multitude of universal levels to it. The acting was brilliant, from Kevin Bacon to Linda Fiorentino, Joe Mantegna, and John Malkovich. The actors really understood these complex characters, and the writing and direction could not have been better for these roles. Congratulations for writing a script with so many thoughtful, intelligent and original characters which reflect so well on the time and all of our struggles to figure out what it is that makes us happy and to do it so humorously as well. People who are not necessarily from the New York area may not buy or believe these characters, but I guarantee you there are so many people like them. 
They're great people with same problems as everyone else. They just choose to deal with them on their own terms and in the best format they know how. With Queen's logic. Can you guess who wrote that review on IMDb, James? No idea. The director. The director. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm taking the piss. I'm taking the piss. I know, I know, I know, I know. But that that was a real review on IMDb, and I was like, "Did you really have to say that at the end?" That, that sounds like a sounds like a shill, yeah, shill review. Come on, guys. But one thing they did say that I agree with: it's a failure of a movie is if it just appeals to your borrower. It just, just no, and that's. I just felt like this movie appealed. And again, I know there's a lot of movies that I like that. You don't get it. You're not from you're not from here. I'm like, mate, it's not it's it's, it's a failing on, on the right and the director really, you know. So Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So anyway, let's uh let's put that to the side. Thank you for the review. I I hope it wasn't too critical, honestly, but just be honest. I do it was a pleasant surprise in some ways. It just took me, you know. Anyway, I said enough about the movie. <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion. Thank you for the support. And uh, yeah, let's move on. Alrighty, oh, let's move on. So, oh, you know how we do. If you're subscribed to the podcast right now with Woody Allen and Jason, James picks a movie, I pick a movie, and sometimes I use my turn to do a request. That's what I've done in this episode. And then after that, we get to the list. We've got a list of movies recommended by people on Reddit. Also, AI did this thing where it analyzed Woody Allen's writing style, suggested other movies, and what we have is a list of 65 movies, which we've already done two. James spins a digital wheel, a roulette wheel full of the numbers. At random, he spins the wheel, gets the number, and then he picks the movie. I thought, we, I thought it was the most randomized way to get different movies. If we did it sequentially, we're working our way from 1965 up to 2020. And I just want to mix it up. I want to get a different year every time. Something like that. Does that make sense, James? Makes sense to me. I have to remind everyone what the hell's going on. Just in case you know, what the fuck is this rule about? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, James. I'm going to move this digital wheel in front of you, right? Here. And then we're going to give it a spin. If you would just uh, spin that wheel, buddy. You ready? I am not seeing the wheel. It's right in front of you. Just, just give it a virtual push. You, my good sir, have just spun a 27. 27. Okay. Seems the next movie we talk about is a movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. It is Get Shorty. Nice, 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 nice. And don't forget, whenever we get a, one of these generated movies from the list, we get the AI to explain why it picked the movie. So not only do we get to talk about the AI or whatever out there gets explained to us in detail why it picked it. So look forward to that. <laughs> I know it's a very weird way of doing things, but I hope you guys enjoy. So let's look forward to that. But before we continue, at the very beginning, I said we have some news which I really, really, really am really, really happy to share. And that is Woody Allen update news. So 
According to the Hollywood Reporter, Hollywood Reporter claims the US-based company MPI Media Group will be releasing, finally releasing, Coop the Charts in theatres April 5th, 2024. A week later, they'll be on streaming and they didn't say when the physical... This is the Western, the, the US, by the way. I know Europe has different releases, even in some European countries. I think there's some French ones out. But in America, coming out in theatres April 5th, streaming a week later, which would be 12th, I think. And then the physical American release, we're not sure. And UK and US are very, very similar, so that's when we'll get it. Now, what they didn't say was... And I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for bringing this up off the bat. If there was going to be an English dub. Now, <laughs> I only say that because I know some people in dub versus sub. And it's, it's, I don't know how you feel. I, I, I listen, I watch Japanese movies. I watch different movies. I watch sub. I'm fine. This is the first Woody Allen movie that's ever released in another language, if I'm not mistaken. So some people might find that appeal. But I think the true fans will not be bothered. How do you feel, James? Uh, my favorite last movie last year was Godzilla Minus One, so I'm fine with the uh, subtitles. I know it's not going to bother most people, but I, you know, there's no word on the really. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Woody Allen doesn't authorize uh, uh, an English track. Uh, and I just being, I, I, Woody Allen fans are of a different breed. I don't think they'll care personally, but right now I've heard there's a French screener floating around with no English subtitles and a lot of people are annoyed by it so the last piece of news I want to announce is that throughout doing this podcast certain people have reached out for certain reasons like for example during COVID when a rainy day in New York came out and uh, I think it was Amazon, Woody and Amazon had that issue there was a few people that reached out to me that, oh, you know, I've got the movie. Do you want to see it? We've got a screening. And honestly, there's a lot of scammers. Mm, I wasn't really following up on that. Now, with this movie in particular, very recently I was reached out to get access to the screener to a Coop to Chance. I followed up with that person who came from a very dodgy email and it looks like we might actually be seeing the movie before its April 5th release. Now, for you listening on the podcast, you might be saying, can we then expect a review soon? I'm not going to put a date on it, but I can pretty much guarantee you will hear a review for from us for Coop the Chance before April 5th. Could be very, very, very soon. But that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to put any other promises out there. So, how does that feel, James, that we'll be talking about this movie very, very soon? Uh, I, I've been looking forward to doing this because we've talked about his last couple of movies when they've come out. Uh, neither one we particularly liked, mm -hmm. but it didn't sound like anybody we liked Rainy Day in New York or Rifkin's Festival. Mm -hmm. This one has gotten good reviews. Yeah. Uh, and considering the fact that it could very well be his last movie, uh, seems like a very special thing to sit down and watch it and review it before the actual release. You know, yeah, it could be his last movie. I don't think it will be his last movie. I really, I think I've even heard him say he really wants to come back to New York to do another New York movie. You know, 
with, I, I, again, I don't want to make him sound desperate. I, I, he did not say with whoever wants to work with him, but I feel like the way the climate is and stuff, I feel like, again, I wish he would just work with no-name actors with talent. But because Woody Allen's own words, the smear still remains, a lot of people won't work with him just because they don't want the heat or they don't want it to affect their own careers. So, I don't know. I, I feel like Woody Allen might have to rely on some of his older loyals to do another movie in the US. Um, but I ho I don't think Coop the Charles will be his last movie. You know, I don't think it will be. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, if it was, ending at number 50 would be a nice round number. But, and the man is pushing 90. So, but if if, if we got one more movie where he came back, acted in it himself, and had Diane Keaton in it. That's a movie I'd be... That'd be my top movie of the year, or whatever yeah. year it came out. 100% agree. Now, Woody isn't a sentimental person at all, so I think for that reason alone, he wouldn't want to end on 50. <laughs> yeah. No. I, that, that means nothing to him. <laughs> it means nothing, and for that reason, I'd... I think he would even go against me like, no, I'm just going to work till I work and stop when I stop. And um, I think I was on the Woody Allen subreddit, subreddit and I heard there's even a new Woody Allen short story and that people, I think Woody Allen might not direct a movie again, but I think he will write movies. And even if he, you know, God forbid right now, pass away, a lot of his writings will be adapted. I think someone would adapt his writings into the movies. You know, whether it's a French director or someone from another country, I think it would, I almost, I would almost take bets on that would happen for sure. And look, I am all for him making movies for as long as he can. Um, both because I, I admire him as a director, but also because it does warm my heart when, you know, uh, the, the mob tries to get rid of somebody who just will not go away. So, let the man make movies for as long as he wants to. I mean, he's an, he's an innocent man. So, I mean, you know, yeah. lots of people don't want to acknowledge that he's an innocent man. He was already investigated twice. And he's got his own kids and he's never been an abuser at all. So, it's like, what are we doing here? But, you know, I've read somewhere that, um, I, 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 again, I don't know what the other personally, but I feel like I've heard his, his own kids have wanted to stand up for him as well because, that whole rhetoric of, you know, the other kids uh, being Farrell's side, Dylan Farrell talking against him. If other, if his actual kids were singing spoke on his behalf, that might level the playing field a bit and make people... But honestly, I as I think Woody Allen as a father would be like, don't get involved. Don't worry about it. Yeah. This is, this I, don't, I don't think it really bothers him. Mm. I think that it probably has frustrated him with trying to make movies. Yeah, Like you said, it sounds like you took a chance... Uh, that it wasn't necessarily his first choice to make it in Paris, but uh, you know the the man still is making movies. You know he's not doing exactly the way he wants to, but he's he's still doing the stories he wants to. So I don't think he he really cares one way. He's never really, you know, he 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 said his piece in his autobiography. Yeah. And I think that's the end of it for him. 100% agree. Now, as for A Creep to Charles itself, from what I've seen from the traders, what I've heard from the plot synopsis, sounds like, you know, 
it's very, 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 very much in the vein of match point, you know, and I feel like he doesn't stray too far away from what he's done before. So I'm excited to see what new elements this movie might bring. But at the same time, my expectations are very, very tab tampered. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm, he's a skilled writer. He's done some great works. But I gotta be honest with you, with all due respect, I'm not expecting that much. All I would want, you know, I'm glad to see young actors again. I'm, I, I want to see good directing, visually good directing. And that's pretty much what I need to see, you know? And I, that's what I hope for. And I hope for something just a little bit different. I, You know, not a imitation of match point and all that, but we'll see. And again, you guys know I'm a kind of a critical boss. I'm just going to tell it how it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Just, I'm just happy. I'm just happy his career's not ending on Rifkin's festival. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, even if it did, I wouldn't hate. I'd be that. Uh, if yeah, if this was his last movie that he directed the himself, I'd be like, okay, cool. You know, because it looks good. It looks good. But mm -hmm. you know, very very soon, you guys might hear our thoughts on the entire movie, and I'll be very excited. I'm also excited to purchase the movie, have it in my collection as well. I know James. Did you, you did you say you already purchased the French version? I was going to, but then if the version is coming out in the United States, then I I'll wait a little while and see if it comes out on DVD. Yeah, and uh, if anyone wants to know anything about the MPI Media Group in, in particular, they've been around for like eight, that twenty eight years or something, so they're not really going anywhere. This isn't just some fringe star group just to get the movie out. They've, they've been distributing movies as well for a while. Uh, and just like when, funny enough, when um, A Rainy Day in New York came out, whether whether it was good or bad, it did well. You know, for all the people that hate Woody Allen, even though overseas in the western side of America, whatever, there's a whole bunch of people that love and adore him. So I want to say, because it never came out in theaters here, it only came out in VOD. But I want to say that for the, like, for a couple of weeks, it was like at the top of the VOD. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, box office. So Yeah, yeah. Rifkin's Festival, I thought it did have a Rifkin's. I thought that had a theatrical release, though. If it did, it was extremely limited. I don't, yeah. I, I think that was a straight to DVD thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Rainy Day did very well on VOD. Very, very, very. People are clamoring for Woody Allen movies. And even though we might see the movie um, before the release, we're going to comment on the release, comment on the news. So we might do that as like a, a bonus, see what the pushback's going to be. Because I, you know, Sadly, I mean, as soon as the movie comes out, I'm already expecting to see headlines that people are protesting the movie because that's what's happened for the last two or three movies, you know. So, you know, and whatever, like it's not gonna, um, it's not gonna bother Woody. It's not gonna stop Woody's fans from seeing it. It'll be a few people on Twitter who throw a tantrum, and I, I do think I feel like we're we're starting to get to a point now when when that happens. People are looking at it differently than they did even a year ago, where now people will throw their tantrum on Twitter and it gets eye rolls instead of people being scared to, you know, now people are more likely to say, yeah, you know what? It looks like a good movie. I'm going to go see it. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. So on that note, I think we should wrap up. I think we've covered everything else. We just got to wait and see what happens. James, where? Can people reach you if they want to reach you, good sir? You can always find me on manic-expression.com, the Manic Expression YouTube channel, and my books are available on Amazon. 
good, good, good. I'll put a link to that in the link tree link we've got to all of our stuff as well. You can find me at Planetario. But again, feel free to contribute to our Patreon and the uh, Kofi campaign. Review and like five star the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. That helps a lot. And don't forget to leave a comment. We've got a comment section video where you can put all your comments. We follow up on that. We've already got some good comments. Please keep it going. Keep it up. And yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing this movie. We finally got a date. We finally got an opportunity to see this movie early, it seems. And we'll be really happy to put that forward. So on that note, I want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And until next time, we'll see you later.